Hello everyone and welcome to the 50th edition of Sports with Yosef. I'm Yosef Nacinto. The Ravens are in their bye week, albeit earlier than it was previously scheduled due to COVID-19 changes. And coming on to talk about the Ravens, it's Ravens uh, film analyst Ken McCusick. After that, I'll delve into the Ravens trade deadline and trade deadline around the league. What the Ravens need and what to expect from Eric DaCosta who has already made a fabulous move. Antonio Brown is reuniting with a former coaching the quarterback. The Ravens coming off goodness, a sloppy game against the Eagles. Now in their bye with more. a bunch of areas to improve on. Yosef. Coming on today for the 50th episode of Sports with Yosef, it's Ken McCusick. Ken got me into film analysis, and Ken does film analysis for 105.7 The Fan, Baltimore Sports Talk radio station, and for his website, filmstudybaltimore.com. Ken, thanks for coming on and giving me some of your time. How are you doing? Life's good, Joseph. Joseph, how are you doing? Doing great. Ken, this team, they're 5-1. and one. It's not pretty football, but it's working and it's getting wins. How has this team progressed from weeks 1 through 6? I mean, I don't have any problem at all with the way the season's rolled out. They lead the NFL in point differential. I think that's a fairly accurate reflection of what they've done to their opponents. You could make the point that the opponents have not been the greatest. Uh, they did lose the Chiefs by 14, which is disappointing, and I think it is set the bar lower for everyone's expectation for the season. But uh, on the other hand, I mean, they've, they've been basically a very dominant team defensively more than offensively this year, but, uh, but still found a way to win. What is this bi- the biggest issue this team has right now? Because when I look at this Ravens team, yes, they're winning, but I don't, maybe the, I think Brown's week one was the only game where I was like, yeah, the Ravens just played a great game. Okay, well, I think the, the biggest problem for me has been not dominating on the offensive line the way they did this year. And, and I, I'll, I didn't expect them to be as good because of Marshall Yonda uh, being basically traded out for Tyree Phillips. Otherwise, you have the same four guys there. Since it's the four, same four guys up front other than Tyree Phillips, I think a lot of the damage has been self-inflicted in terms of the pistol and not using that as much in 2020. They've used instead an on-the-hip running back for Jackson, uh, one to his left or right. Obviously, no Marshall Yanda. Like, actually, you predicted that perfectly last time on the podcast. It is so you have if the Ravens make those play-calling adjustments and play more disciplined on the line, is this line going to be not as good as last year because you're not going to have Yanda, but still a lot better? Not as good as not as good as last year because of no Yanda is I think a pretty much a sure thing. But everybody's offensive line assignments were made easier with the way they ran the pistol last year. For instance, uh, the one I like to always talk about, Orlando Brown had an easy down block to make on a defensive tackle. It's very simple block for a right tackle to make because he just hits the player who the right guard is engaged with, and then he moved up half a level as I call it to try and hit a scraping linebacker or another block in level two. In terms of relative responsibilities, that's much easier than trying to block a man who's directly in front of you. And he's just one of the players for whom the pistol made things easier. The Ravens have also faced some fairly tough defensive lines, even on bad teams like the Eagles and the Redskins, who have significant talent there. So, uh, you know, I'm not I'm not at a point where I'm giving up on this offensive line by, by any stretch, but I think the Ravens have done damage to how effective they can be by, by this front-facing mesh point. So what have you noticed, Ken, about rookie uh, right guard Tyree Phillips? Okay, blocking is pretty good in terms of uh, pass blocking anyway. Just had a game against Fletcher Cox. That's a very tough opponent. Uh, He's obviously been a five-time pro bowler and had a lot of pressures over the years. 
he he got some push, but he really was very good. Uh, allowed one penetration, which is a loss on a run play, one pressure only, which is terrific, and one holding call that occurred on a on a run play. So the overall score was about a C, but uh, his you know in terms of playing against a high level opponent, a five time Pro Bowler, I think that's a you know a fairly good result. And uh, and actually the fact that he's playing against him was already factored into that grade. So. He's a uh, he's a player I don't think has lost his starting job yet. Unfortunately, he's hurt now, and so the Ravens may have to make a choice on who they move forward with. Who do you want the Ravens to move forward with at right guard? Well, I'd like to see I'd like to see Powers get a chance at some point because he's a second year player. Uh, that's also the case, obviously, with McCarry. I think McCarry's had more chances at guard, more total snaps there and at center. You know, the, the Ravens coaches obviously think they know what they have with Powers from practice, and they must not really be enamored with it relative to McCarry, or McCarry wouldn't be getting to play ahead of him. And yet, I think a lot of fans really want to see Powers at this point and see if a, you know, a longer-armed um, than McCarry, anyway, uh, guard can help open the front gate in the run game. What about DJ Fluker? You know, he's on the list as well, but here's the problem. Yes, if you have three players, you have a, you have a rookie with Phillips and two second-year players. And the goal, of course, ultimately in the NFL is to beat the salary cap. Now, Fluker's cheap, but he's only here for this year. He's going to cost only seven seventy-five against the salary cap this year, so that's terrific, but he's only here for this year. Whereas the other guys are committed here for two, two, and three more years, respectively. And that's a, that's a much more, much more significant upside for those players filling the position. So I'm not saying if they got to the playoffs and Fluker might be not be the best option and they might actually use it, but if you know for right now during the regular season trying to determine what they have and establish a, a uh, line for years to come, you know, they're very well uh, served I believe to pick one of the younger players. Would you use um, that same reasoning, which I really like and not heard before, but I really like it? Would you say the Ravens are trying to do the that same thing with Mark Ink? With Mark Ingram, I was going to say, yes. and get J.K. Dobbins more involved. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I mean, it, it, Dobbins was drafted, I think, basically so they could release Ingram after this next year. You mentioned wide receiver. The Ravens just signing Des Bryant to the practice squad. What are your thoughts about Des? Who's probably not going to get much playing time, if any, barring injury. Yeah, I think it's I think it's very unlikely he sees game action. I, I I was talking to people yesterday about what's the probability that you would assign him getting even a single catch. Uh, as a Raven, and I'd say it's under 50%. Uh, it might be 30, 35%. Um, that might be reasonable. And and most of that would be between two possibilities. One is he comes up as a week 17 practice squad call up, and he might be gone by then, by the way. He may be saying, look, this isn't what I signed up for. I've, I've been, you know, six weeks on the practice squad. I'm not here to be on the practice squad all year. I, I need to get some playing time. Or possibility number two is that Harbaugh sees fit. He, he practices okay, but but Harbaugh realizes he's probably not as good as the other players, and yet somebody else on the receiving core pisses him off. And if that happens, he could activate um, uh, Des Bryant to kind of send a message to the other receivers that, hey, your job's in jeopardy. We got this guy we think is probably okay. But all of the other notions I've heard about the Des Bryant signing, he's somehow going to be a great mentor for uh, Miles Boykin. Complete load of crap in terms of anything I've ever heard about the guy. I mean, just I don't believe he'll be he'll be that sort of a uh, father figure to other receivers. How about Willie Sneed to James Prochet? What are your thoughts on that relationship? You know, 
Snead is a free agent at the end of the year. I, I really don't know what the relationship is. I mean, obviously, Snead, a punt returner and wide receiver, that's a good match for what Prochet does. Um, in terms of, of changing from one to the other, uh, planning for that for next year, it's not obvious to me that's what's going on. Uh, so I think he's a, you know, Prochet is a uh, reasonably talented young player. I think we may have seen him more on the field already if there were a lot of immediately useful receiving skills that were clearly there. DuVernay was up to 26 snaps last week against the Eagles, and it, it would seem to me that we would have seen more of Prochet if he was really going to offer something to the Ravens this year as a receiver. From a personnel standpoint, the Ravens have shifted last year using a lot more of the 12-22 heavy personnel 21, and now they're using a light, more lighter personnel. What are your thoughts on how the Ravens have been using the offensive personnel? Do you need something to change there or not? Um, the, the, real, the thing that's really missing, the, the, the secret sauce, so to speak, is the 13 personnel, and that's where I would like the Ravens to acquire another tight end in season. You know, the, the guy who knows the offense and would be perfect for it if he was willing to come back. And it, it honestly does not matter if he's truly willing to come back is, is Hurst. Um, it, you know, if they could get the right price on him to return from the Falcons, Falcons are going nowhere. Uh, they made a mistake in picking up just the same way that the, the Vikings made a mistake in, in picking up in Gakwe. And it's, it wouldn't be a completely unreasonable thing for the Ravens to get it back maybe for a fourth round pick. Um, if, if they did that. And, and then I think he'd add significantly to the Ravens offense. Uh, he'd, he'd create a new stacking of contracts with Andrews that they, they, you know, they, his contract and Andrews contract and in fact Boyle's contract all come due, I think, basically the same year. They have to, a fifth year option choice to be made on Hearst that would kick the can down the road one year. But it's still, it's a, it's a, um, that's the personnel grouping that I think that has been missing with the pistol to create lots of play action difficulty for opposing defenses that force them to defend more of the field. Absolutely. I hadn't even thought about bringing Hurst back, but there were a bunch of other names being thrown around. Obviously the Ravens just signed uh, trading for Yannick Nagakwe. Any other trades you're expecting the Ravens to make until the deadline? I, I really, the thing I don't want to see is a big trade for a big name wide receiver. I don't think there's anybody out there that I'm really excited about. Um, you know, Julio Jones carries an enormous number with him. So a good receiver, enormous number. And there's a few players like that that would that just carry a ridiculous cap amount that the, the Ravens really can't manage. Or if they did, it would impair their ability in 2021 and beyond to sign all the guys I think they really ought to be committing the money to. So I, I'm not in favor really of any of those. They, they you know, People have talked about um, Evan Ingram as a potential guy from the Giants as, a, as another tight end. He's at least on his rookie deal still, but he doesn't make nothing. And uh, you know, beyond that, uh, he hasn't um, he hasn't been that great with the Giants this year. So I'm I'm not that excited about him either. So I, I, I you know, it's just not apparent to me who it is. I mean, other names keep coming up: a Antonio Brown, Des Bryant, AJ Green. I don't want any of those. Even though we've got Des Bryant, I don't want any of them. <laughs> so there's a uh, you know, it's just it's hard for me to get interested in a in the wide receiver treadmill at this point when you have several young receivers who who I don't think are getting enough snaps. And the Ravens have been on that treadmill. What what with Michael Crabtree? Um, I mean, they, they've Jeremy gone Macklin. through those all wide receivers. Yeah, Mike Wallace. Although he was 
definitely part of part of his pro- late end of his prime was in Baltimore, mm-hmm. and Ravens Eric DaCosta going a different route, and that route has been to get defensive players from free agency from other teams, and he got Yannick Ngakwe. What are your thoughts about how Ngakwe helps out this Ravens team? Uh, he, I, he's good. Um, he, he changes some of the packaging that they'll do on third down. I think he'll basically mean that Patrick Queen will lose some snaps on third down, which I think is probably a good thing. Uh, Queen is not where he needs to be as a coverage player at this point, although he is he's, he's improving so quickly, it's really hard to put limits on him. But I think the Ravens will do well to, to create a dime package, which has Bowser and Judon both still on the field, as they have been so far, along with Campbell. Um, and Ngakwe and McPhee, who has really been tearing up the last two games. Absolutely. McPhee, he's been lining up. I thought I've seen him lining up on top of the center a lot. Do you expect that to continue with Ngakwe here? Because Ngakwe will probably be playing the end. Oh, yeah. Ngakwe is a, is, he's a very much a wide nine rusher. He, he, he wants to be as wide as possible from the scrimmage, get his man in space and then try and chop his arm and get by him, usually with speed. He doesn't really have a lot of other moves. He doesn't really have a very good bull rush. So he's all about basically using one arm to increase his own length and, and to get around the outside uh, uh, versus versus the uh, uh, tackle. And he's almost always on a tackle. He's a rush end, so he usually plays a naked end of the line of scrimmage that doesn't have the tight end on it. Um, if you're talking about uh, where McPhee will play, I think he probably does make the most sense to be over center, and he's a really good um, uh, under player to create double teams on him and create really good stunt opportunities for other players. So Campbell's also very good at that, but Campbell Campbell probably would like to play outside um, or at the three on rushdowns and make his job a little easier. And we saw some good interplay between Bowser and Campbell in this last game in terms of them each having an underneath stunt for the other uh, on consecutive plays beginning at 438 of the fourth. What have you noticed from Lamar Jackson from 2019 to 2020? I mean, it's a really broad question. We could probably talk for an hour on that particular question, but I think I'd start in terms of trying to fix what's wrong with Lamar Jackson. I'd start with the front facing mesh because I don't think it's helping. Uh, You know, I think they probably instituted it in part so that he could see the field better and more broadly. But whatever they thought they were getting from it, I don't, I don't think it's really materializing. He still is a make the play happen, extend the play. And that works very well with the normal pistol side mesh because it creates the opportunity for a three-second play to develop and it already freezes some of the defenders within that scheme. So they're already in a position where they're allowing part of that play extension to naturally occur and part of those initial blocks to get set up so that whether you're running or passing, you have more time to do either. And I think it just becomes much harder to defend the whole field when Lamar Jackson has that has that uh, freedom to run around after a, a side pistol mesh. Do you happen to know any of the st- statistics offhand of how often the Ravens have been using the pistol this year? I, I don't have that, and you know it changes game by game. But they, they, I think they did a little bit more in the last game. But they, if you if you just look at it on a play by play basis, they didn't really run the side mesh at all. Sorry, the the on the hip running back much at all last year. And now you see it; it's it's a high percentage of plays. So you know they're using the pistol less as their other um, formation now as their other primary run formation. The other thing that that you know has been pointed out, and there was a good article about it. On, I think it was USA Today 
was that Jackson's performance in empty sets has not been good this year. And, and he was outstanding there last year. Some of that is on the receivers. Uh, some of it is no doubt on him to process and read the entire field quickly and, and go, to a, go to some different receivers. I think another part of it is just you would expect naturally, given he had an MVP season last year and the Ravens offense was historic, that you would expect there's there's a lot of ground for opposing defensive coordinators to pick up on the Ravens, but there's very it's very hard for Jackson to make incremental improvements or to continually provide surprises for the opponents in terms of room and scheme. So you, you would figure there'd be a natural regression to the mean that would occur from such a historic season. And I, I think we're seeing that. Um, they're an average offense that's certainly well below where I would have expected them to be. But if you look at who they lost from last year, I mean, they lost Marshall Yonda. And the other major loss was Hayden Hurst. And both of them are very significant losses in terms of how the offense is run. Absolutely. Ken, time is running out. But as you may remember, I like to end interviews with a prediction. I'm absolutely not taking offense if you do not remember. So with that said, when does Lamar Jackson notch his first win against Patrick Mahomes? Uh, no idea. Sometimes, I, I mean, it's, it's probably less than a 50% chance of it occurring in the playoffs this year. Um, so, sometime before the end of 2021 would be my answer. Fair enough. Thank you so much, Ken, for coming on and giving me some time. All right. Take it easy, sir. That was Ken McCusick, Ravens film analyst, 105.7 The Fan, at filmstudybaltimore.com. Big thanks to Ken for coming on. Wonderful as always. Ken had some really good points, and I will get into that a little bit later on. But first, 50 episodes. This is number 50. Started about two years ago. Been a lot of fun. And what a better way than to acknowledge this landmark, which because it's a round number, people consider it a a landmark, a progress point, a a checkmark, whatever word you, you prefer to use to all accomplish the same meaning. The best way to acknowledge it is to go back and listen to the past episodes, the last 49 episodes. We've had some great episodes there. You know where to listen to it, whether it's Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, online, my website. It's really all there. It's also now on Sportscaster. I was talking about that on the last episode a little bit. I believe it was, I believe it was the last episode, possibly two episodes ago. But it is on Sportscaster. Sportscaster doesn't have all of the podcasts so i wouldn't suggest listening on there but hey if you prefer listening on sportscaster go for it bottom line i mean we've had some great guests and i'm planning on having an mlb guest next uh got a couple ideas and regardless of who it is it's going to be a lot of fun so make sure you're staying tuned for that but i mean we're talking about jerry sandusky voice of the ravens kevin brown voice of the orioles Eddie Matz, ESPN writer, Danny Vietti, CBS Sports, Keith Mills, who came on last episode, Todd Karpovich from Sports Illustrated. I mean, this list goes on and on. And I literally have a commit who right now is incredibly busy broadcasting NFL games for Fox Sports. He is the only sports broadcaster to broadcast every one of the major sports. 
hockey, basketball, baseball, football. He does it all. He was in the Edmonton bubble. He's done World Cups. He's done Olympics. And I am really looking forward to him coming on once he has a little bit more time after the NFL season. I think that could be the most fascinating episode I've ever done because I'm going to really ask him a lot about the Edmonton bubble and pick his brain and see what it was like. A situation really unimaginable before COVID-19. I mean, but we've also got other great episodes, whether that would be when Aaron Raskis came on for the best explanation I've ever heard for the Orioles-Nationals mass and dispute. I mean, it's still applicable today. I highly suggest uh, you checking that one out. Had a, a bunch of other great episodes out there. And also just go back and listen to the first one and hear how bad it was. Because definitely has gotten better a lot of guests a lot of fun and a lot of work for you to do to go and listen to it but you've got time go and do that also check out all of my videos on sportscaster sportscaster.com my username this phrase will be repeated a bunch over the next minute or two yosef m613 check out all of my articles for flurrysports.org tackler.com techmohol.com yosef m613 i think techmohol is just yosef uh, the affiliate links are in the description to this podcast, as is the new site I write for, rockyandmeisty.com. It's not really that because it's an affiliate link. It's annoying to say. I don't know by heart. Bottom line, it's in the description of this podcast. So you can copy and paste. You can just press the link, although I don't know if that anchor considers it a link when I... But I don't know that it's going to let you do it because I don't know that wherever you're listening is going to consider it a hyperlink in May. It may not, but you can copy and paste into your browser. I already have an article out that's just a link to the page of the website. They do not yet have author profile pages, so I will update that when I get that update. Check me out on Twitter at YosefM613 and check out my website yosefm613.com it has all of my content except not all of my videos but it has some of my videos but all my articles in one place because i know it's what four sites now all over the web i have past sites i've posted content on well this is it it's all right here and better yet you get an email every time i post new content if you sign up and subscribe to get those email updates straight to your mailbox highly suggest doing that it's right on the home page if you want to get updates for when i go live on sportscaster there's a link for that on the home page as well highly suggest doing that and with that said let's turn it back to sports the turning point in the ravens 2019 season the point where the ravens went from a team that had a quarterback who was doing okay he wasn't doing great but he was doing okay. He was doing good enough. This He was going into the Seahawks game, I believe, was, would have been week 7. 96.7 passer rating, 11 touchdowns, 5 interceptions, a 2 rushing touchdowns. The Ravens were 4-2 then. This was a huge game going into the Seahawks for the Ravens. And Eric DaCosta has shown me that he is a little bit more aggressive than Ozzie Newsom at the trade deadline. And he went out and traded for Marcus Peters. Marcus Peters came in 
because of the Tavon Young injury, he really solidified that Ravens cornerback position, solidified the secondary, gave Wink Martindale more freedom to blitz, and he basically turned the Ravens' defensive season around. It took the pressure off of Lamar Jackson to throw the ball, and it let Greg Roman get more creative with how he was going to run and throw the ball, and then Lamar Jackson went off, finished that, what was it, four, no, 12-game winning streak, so it would have been finishing... 10 more games in in that winning streak, right? Should be, yeah. Yeah, finishing 10 more games in that winning streak. Marcus Peters was that huge addition for the Ravens, which Eric DaCosta came up with for virtually nothing. Well, the Ravens and Eric DaCosta has made another such move. The Ravens are trading for Yannick Ngakwe. Former Jacksonville Jaguar, played for the Vikings, was playing for the Vikings in 2020. Nagakwe was a guy who was rumored to Baltimore back before the season because he wanted out and a contract he wanted to get paid wasn't getting paid. Basically wanted out. And he was traded to the Vikings for a second round draft pick and a conditional fifth round draft pick. Well, the Vikings are 1-5. and five. And they parted ways with Ngakwe, sending him to Baltimore for a third-round pick and a conditional fifth-round pick. I mean, this is a move by Eric DaCosta by waiting six games. He's alleviating the burden of giving up a second-round pick, and now he's only giving up a third. First round to second round, there really is a huge difference in talent differential. There really is that big gap. Second to third, there also is a big gap as well. Second to third, we're still talking about guys who slid out of the first round. Guys who are first-round talents could have been taken in the first round, but whether to injuries, bad stats, other storyline issues, other issues, regardless, first-round talents who fall to the second round. That is what the second round is. So the Ravens, by giving up only a third and not a second for Nagakwe, are positioning themselves to do really well in the future. And something I've been seeing from Eric DaCosta is DaCosta is going to draft offensive talent. His first draft, we're talking Devin DuVernay, James Poche, J.K. Dobbins. Who am I missing here? He took Tyree Phillips. He wants to draft offense, from what I'm seeing from him early. And trade and sign defense. He traded for Marcus Peterson, signed him. He just traded for Yannick Ngakwe. He re-signed Marlon Humphrey. It's going to be interesting to see how this will progress in free agency, what the Ravens want to do there, and how they will approach the 2021 draft. But that is the trend I'm seeing from Eric DaCosta. Nagakwe, he's going to be coming in, and he's not going to be playing every down, as you heard from Ken. He's, But he, as you also heard from Ken, he's good against the run. The Ravens' three losses in 2019... Two of them, the Ravens were gashed in the running game, and the other one was Patrick Mahomes. Well, the Ravens lost in 2020. Well, one loss, it's been Patrick Mahomes. Nugakwe is going to come in. He's going to really shore up that run defense along with Calais Campbell. And remember, Calais Campbell, Yannick Nugakwe, same team in Jacksonville. They were both on that top defense in 2017 where they came a quarter shy of heading to the Super Bowl, whatever number that was, 53 probably. And... He finds a way to get to the quarterback. He gets a bunch of sacks. I think it's like eight-plus sacks every year. He's in his fifth year of his NFL career. So, I mean, he's doing his job. He's getting to the quarterback. He only has one real move, and Ken mentioned this, and that's going to be an issue. 
down the run, down the stretch, I don't believe that he is the long-term option in Baltimore. I just don't think he is. I would love for him to be. I just don't think he is, and here's why. Nagakwe only has one move. He, he uses his arms really well. He's got long arms. Ken mentioned this. And he uses those arms to create more separation and then speeds rush. Now, in the NFL, to have long-term success, you need to have more than one move. Now, obviously, when you're in a situation like Nagakwe is in Baltimore right now, where he's got Calais Campbell on one side, he's got Matthew June on the other side of the line of scrimmage, we might see Pernell McPhee. We're going to be talking about Brandon Williams. They're, they're not going to be able to double him. They're not going to be able to go and really take him out of their game unless they've got a top tackle, a Ronnie Stanley-esque type of player. And if they have that, Nagakwe is going to be pretty neutralized because he only has one move, because he's not able to do too much. And that's why he's not going to be remaining in Baltimore. He's a rush linebacker versus a guy like Matthew Judon. And this really is an issue, which is a discussion for another time that the Ravens only have one outside linebacker signed and under contract for 2021. But Matthew Judon, the reason I want the Ravens to sign him, again, it's all about the cap, it's all about how are you going to manage paying all of these ridiculously expensive contracts and deservedly expensive contracts to this Ravens' talented offense. But Matthew Judon, he doesn't get as many sacks. But when he does, he's a Sam linebacker. I think I might have talked about this on this podcast. He's going to drop back into coverage. He's going to be able to really do a good job of taking out a running back, a tight end. Yes, he's going to get some sacks, but that's not his main job. He's not getting, he's getting about 200 less pass uh, rushing attempts than a Chris Jones type of player. At least that's what the stats were in 2019. He's not rushing the passer that much. He's dropping back into coverage. He's playing the run. And he does all of those well. He does all of the, some of those really well. He's versatile. And the versatility on this Ravens defense is why Wink Martindale is able to have eight men in the box and bring three. Because, say he'll have, I don't know, Pernell McPhee, Calais Campbell, I don't know, Saini Gakwe coming. But he's then going to bring, he'll also show Matt Judon, Chuck Clark, Tyus Bowser. Let's see, I need another two names here. Um, say Marlon Humphrey's in the box because, no, Marlon Humphrey really should not be in the box. Say Pat- Patrick Queen's in the box and a second linebacker and I don't know, uh, number 49, Chris Board. So the Ravens have eight in the box, and they're showing, they're, they have eight in the box, so you really don't know who's coming. The Ravens can do a bunch of delay blitzes, and don't forget Marlon Humphrey, um, Jimmy Smith, those guys can blitz off the edge and blitz from the secondary. So you really don't know who's coming. So the Ravens, you're showing, you're showing, I don't know, maybe you're showing six, seven, eight. So you'll bring, the, you can bring those front three. You'll drop Matthew Judon and Tyus Bowser up into coverage. You'll bring a cornerback blitz. You're going to drop Chuck Clark to cover the tight end. The Ravens can do so much with the versatility because Marlon Humphrey can go in the slot, because Chuck Clark can line up all over the field, because Pernell McPhee can line up all over the defensive line, as can Calais Campbell. Because the Ravens have that versatility, Wink Martindale has a lot of options, and he has a lot of ways to confuse quarterbacks. 
and to get to quarterbacks. He blitzes a lot, and it's because he's able to rely on the flexibility of his defense, and that's why I think the Ravens will sign Ma- want to sign Matthew Junon over Nagakwe. But Nagakwe is a rental. He's a rental, and he could be the rental to push the Ravens over the edge, which is what the Ravens are hoping. Nagakwe, he actually grew up a Steelers fan, and ironic. Or is it Destiny that has his first game in purple and black against the yellow and black in the Steelers coming off of the bye? Which, by the way, the reason the Ravens pulled the trigger so early on the Steelers so that Ngakwe would be ready to play in this game against an undefeated Steelers team, a Steelers team that's 6-0 after beating the Titans on Sunday. And Ngakwe is going to have to come up big for the Ravens. The Ravens, and what I should have mentioned earlier, is Ngakwe is going to let Wink Martindale only bring four. He'll only, he can show four, bring four, and they'll still get to the quarterback because that is what Ngakwe is going to be bringing against a Steelers team that is, I'll tell you what, it, they're 6-0, and but they sure don't look all too good. And they're going to be going up against a Ravens team ready to rumble on Sunday in front of, I don't know, 4,000 fans, 5,000 fans in Baltimore. So the Ravens and Eric DaCosta said that they're still looking to make another move. And I loved Ken's idea of trading back for Hayden Hurst. I think that would really be the spark to this offense. It won't be as great as the 2019 offense because, as Keith said, as Ken said, you don't have Marshall Yonda. But it will get better. I love the idea of bringing Hayden Hurst in or bringing a tight end in. They do need a tight end so that they can run those 13 personnel packages, one running back, three tight ends. They can do, do better uh, 12 personnel, two tight end packages. They've got to do a better job with their tight end packages because that's what sets up the play action. That's what sets up the running game. It allows Greg Roman to get creative with the motions, more, more creative with tight ends and pulling tight ends and guys just doing stuff to confuse the defenses. Having defenders, you're looking one way and the ball is going the other. It took NFL cameramen a while to get used to how Lamar Jackson runs. It took broadcasters a while to get used to how Lamar Jackson runs. And teams are still having to deal with the fact that Lamar Jackson, when he gets into open space, he is one of the hardest players to stop in the National Football League. But the Ravens also need offensive line. And this they're not going to get through the, free, uh, the trade deadline. It's just not happening. I would be shocked if Eric DaCosta pulls this off. Because going back to Kent's point, the Ravens want Tyree Phillips to develop. They want Orlando Brown to develop. They're not going to be putting in a Band-Aid right now to sacrifice the long-term development of this team. But they, the offensive line does need a little bit of work. They also could use a wide receiver because Miles Boykin's just not been gelling with Lamar Jackson. He, there's been miscommunication. It's been on Boykin's end for the most part, and it's not been fun to watch. He's been getting a lot of snaps. He's not been doing a lot. I'm really looking forward to seeing Devin DuVernay out there. I think he's an electric rookie, and I think he's got a a nice NFL career in front of him because from what I've seen from him in Baltimore, I don't know if he's a number one, I don't know if he's a number two, but I do know that from the role he's been used in Baltimore, he has done well every opportunity he has gotten. And some teams that look like they could be selling. The Falcons, I mean, there have been rumors with with Julio Jones, Calvin Ridley. Here's the thing with... Julio Jones and I think I mentioned this with JJ Watt the Ravens aren't going to be giving and being able to pick up a big contract they just do not have the, that flexibility I love to say they do they don't it's not even close and so the Ravens aren't going to be able to go and get Julio Jones 
And if you would restructure it, then you got cap hit uh, years down the road. It's just not happening. They're not getting those type of players. But there have been rumors of Brashad Perryman back to Baltimore, which I don't know that John Harbaugh wants that. Perryman has done well literally as soon as he left Baltimore. I don't know. Uh, Perryman back to Baltimore gives me a sense of foreboding that nothing good could come of it, but what do I know? Uh, other teams that are looking to that could be looking to sell, we talked about the Vikings. The Jaguars, I don't know what the Jaguars are right now. They're 1-6. I don't know if Gardner Minshew is their long-term quarterback answer. I don't think they know if Gardner Minshew is their long-term quarterback answer. He flashes. He also has some bad parts. But I don't think they're going to trade any of their young wide receivers. I have a feeling they're trade potential, but not a wide receiver. Giants, another really bad team. Talk about the NFC East a little bit later on, as are the Jets. The Lions, again, Kenny Galladay, a little bit more of an expensive contract. I don't think the Ravens want to take that on. And the Texans, I don't know. Here's the thing with the Texans right now. The Texans are 1-6 and and in third place, tied for third place, except they have a head-to-head victory in the NFC, excuse me, in the AFC South. I understand 1-6 is bad. I also understand this is Deshaun Watson, and they could get better. I understand that they've played the Baltimore Ravens, they've played the Kansas City Chiefs, they've played the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, excuse me, they've played the Green Bay Packers, they've played the Pittsburgh Steelers, four really good teams. I mean, how many combined wins do those teams have right now? I mean, my goodness, 11, 16, who's the other one? The Chiefs are have six, 11, so we're talking about 23 wins, 22 combined wins. It's Would I have ever... The exact win total is, it's a lot. They've had to go through the toughest part of their schedule. I think they played the Titans in loss, so you can add on another five wins. It is unreal, the amount of good teams they've played. I mean, let's just reiterate that one more time. Packers, Ravens, Chiefs, Titans. Who am I missing here? I'm missing Steelers. They have had a gauntlet of a schedule, but they could turn it around. I would not be surprised if they turn it around. I think they do turn it around. I don't know that they make the playoffs because in one and six they don't have a lot of room for error. But it's also been a byproduct of their schedule. And yes, great teams win the close games, win the tough games. And yes, the, they were blown out by the Ravens, blown out by the Chiefs, blown out by the Packers. I don't remember the final score in the Steelers game. The Titans one was a close one. Yes, they've not played well. But yes, they've got the talent to play well. At least they have the talent at quarterback to play well. They've got Will Fuller's. They've got Brandon Cooks. I don't know. I think this team could succeed in the long run. And I'm interested in seeing how they do. But I mentioned the NFC East. And so we'll move on from the trade deadline subject. The NFC East is really horrific. It's cringeworthy. There have been, let's get the right numbers here, two, four, six, seven wins total out of... Drummle, please, 28 games. 7 out of 28, and there have been some head-to-heads in there. I can get you these. I mean, 5 of those 28 games were head-to-head. So 5 of those 7 wins were head-to-head. I kid you not. 5 of the 7 NFC wins were head-to-head. Unreal. I'm going to tweet that out later because I can't believe that. Wow. The Eagles are in first place at 2-4-1. The Washington football team at 2-5 in second. Dallas Cowboys 2-5 in third. 
the Giants are one and six in fourth. It is horrific. And why? Why in the world do we have the NFC East playing in primetime games? This is the worst division, arguably, in football history. The way they're playing right now, it's horrific. And yet, and yet, we get to watch them in primetime way too often. I don't want to see another one of these teams in primetime until the Ravens play the Cowboys. Because that Cowboys-Ravens game in primetime, I think, could be really intriguing. You get to see Andy Dalton back in Baltimore for a couple of reasons, for a couple of storylines. That game's really fun to watch. But I don't want to see the NFC East in primetime again besides that game. If I would go through the schedule, maybe there'd be one or two other games where I'd be like, you know what? Maybe. But I have a feeling there'd be better games on the slate. I do not want to see the NFC East again in primetime. As a matter of fact, when the NFC East plays in the playoffs, I want them to have the 1 o'clock Sunday matchup. Either that or the 1 o'clock Saturday matchup. I literally, or whatever it is, 425 whatever that earlier game is, I don't want to see the NFC East because they are that bad. The Daniel Jones, the quarterback for the Giants, had a wide-open 80-yard touchdown run. or It might have been a little bit more than that. And he literally was tripped up by air molecules. Open field. He was running about over 20 miles an hour, which to me is incredible. The fact that a quarterback not named Lamar Jackson, not named Deshaun Watson, not named Patrick Mahomes, was running over 20 miles per hour, which was about the same speed as Tyreek Hill on his fastest run of the season. It really makes no sense to me. And I'm wondering, have we really not seen what Lamar Jackson can do? Have we really not seen what Tyreek Hill can do with their speed? We've, we, they always say it. They always say, oh, I wasn't running full speed. Well, what can they run full speed? I'd love to know. But, and also, I mean, and I guess a way to check that would be to check a 40-yard dash and go from the 40-yard dash to miles per hour. But a discussion for another time. But Daniel Jones, wide open touchdown run, literally 80 yards, and he was chipped up by nothing. Embarrassing. On primetime football. The Eagles, they're one of two teams coming. This was coming into Sunday. I don't have know if this has changed. But coming into Sunday, they were one of two teams with three comebacks. The Eagles record, let me remind you again, is 2-4-1. Two, two fourth quarter comebacks. Three, excuse me, three fourth quarter comebacks, but they lost one of the games in overtime. Excuse me, time one of the games in overtime. It's horrific how bad this NFC East is, and I am done. I do not want to be subjected to primetime NFC East football again until 2028. Or when Trevor Lawrence comes into the league. Well, Antonio Brown, the saga continues because he is now in Tampa Bay. Or should I say Tampa Bay? Because... This is a move that was orchestrated, designed, and produced by Tom Brady. Tom Brady struck up a friendship with Antonio Brown in New England. Bruce Arians didn't want him. The front office didn't want him. But you know what? You got to please the star quarterback who Tom Brady took the all-time touchdowns record from Drew Brees on Sunday. So I think the winner of who keeps that record is going to be the guy who plays longest. So that'll be interesting to see in what is a era built for the passing game around the National Football League in this modern era, which also led by fantasy and people needing the big points and not willing to see anything less than that, which also factors into the game as well. But Bruce Arians, he was not happy about it. He basically said, you, you mess up, you're done. And But Brady wanted him there. And why, does, why should Brady get him? 
I mean, he already has Mike Evans. He's Chris Godwin. He has O.J. Howard. He's got Rob Gronkowski. He's got Leonard Fournette. He's got Ronald Jones. Do I need to go on? He's got a defense that literally shut down opposing offenses. He shut down Aaron Rodgers and the Packers offense coming off of a bye. Coming off of a bye. They shut down Aaron Rodgers. That's a really good defense. And we saw what Aaron Rodgers did on Sunday against the Texans. He torched the secondary. He torched the defense of the Houston Texans led by J.J. Watt. Aaron Rodgers is a Hall of Fame quarterback. There are people saying that he's the most talented quarterback in the NFL over the last decade since he's coming to the league. This is a really good Buccaneers team. And they want to bring in Antonio Brown? I don't get it. Because in cost-risk analysis, the risk is obvious. Bad PR, he's had a history of being a headache in the locker room, and he's going into a team in Tampa Bay who doesn't want him, and who also has a coach in Bruce Arians who's considered to be a player's coach, which means he's not going... I mean, he's just not the personality to be up in his face. He's not really strict. That's not a good setup for Antonio Brown. That's really not a good setup. And what's the reward? What is the reward for Antonio Brown? The Super Bowl, I think they've got the talent to win with that one. Obviously, Antonio Brown makes him a lot better if he stays on the field, if he does not a headache, if he produces like he... I mean, he really only played one game last year. So what's he going to be like? Obviously, Lamar Jackson and Marquise Brown were very impressed by Antonio Brown and tried to campaign for him to come to Baltimore. Thank God that that did not happen because he's a headache in the locker room. And I'm, I'm sorry, until I want to see otherwise, until I see him have success in an NFL locker room, I'm going to say it again. I don't want that guy in my team's locker room, in any team's locker room. And Tampa Bay is, I mean, Tom Brady is going to have to control Antonio Brown. And if he doesn't, Antonio Brown's going to be back on the street and he will probably never find another job in the NFL. Because Antonio Brown was on two really respected franchises in the Pittsburgh Steelers and the New England Patriots. And both t- places, he, w- he left. He was cut, he was traded. And both times, for negative reasons, it's not been good from Antonio Brown. But you know what? He could change. And if he does, well, Tampa Bay, they've just got another really, really good weapon. Thanks for listening to the 50th episode of Sports with Yosef. I'm Yosef Messenger. I'll see you next time.